Coming up today on the Triangle and Two podcast, we've got three topics for you. One, what's going on with the rosters here for Triangle basketball teams? UNC still waiting for a decision from Caleb Love. Uh, Duke has a player returning. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, and then we're going to look at the final four, what we should expect, who's going to win it all, hint, hint, UConn. Uh, and then we'll wrap up with the NFL draft because we are one month, as we record today on a Monday, we are one month exactly from the start of the NFL draft, the Panthers are still on the clock. Mark Bergen, Luis Fernandez. Mark, let's get started with uh, the basketball, the college basketball situation here in the Triangle. We have some news uh, coming into Monday today. Yes, Tyrese Proctor's coming back to Duke, Lewis. A huge get for Duke, considering they have a loaded, loaded recruiting class coming in in 2023, but the only point guard, Caleb Foster, a five-star recruit coming in. So you keep that continuity at the guard position because – if Jeremy Roach decides, hey, I want to go to the league, do you at least have options available at the point guard position? Now, Caleb Love as well, Lewis. I can't help but wonder. He's got a decision to make at UNC. Armando Baycott's back. R.J. Davis is back. I feel like we're going to have a decision by the time this very podcast releases. I hope I'm not jinxing us, but that's just the feeling I get. No, no. I mean, that's just kind of what I feel like this whole week is going to be about whether it be Duke UNC state. Like I think people are just going to have to start making decisions soon. Uh, last year was a little bit different because uh, Duke and UNC are both in the final four. So, you know, it took a little bit longer to get some of these decisions made, but uh, th- this feels like right around the time that all of that will start coming through. Um, I- I'm really curious to see what Caleb Love ends up doing. And ultimately I-, I think it may be time for him to just kind of, you know, I don't know if he wants to enter the transfer portal or if he wants to go pro, um, but that's just, when you talk with different people, it just kind of seems like what everyone is leaning. And the last person we're just waiting to hear from would be Caleb Love. Um, the, the impact of that on the team would be interesting. I mean, obviously he had, he's averaging 16.7 points last year, but he was shooting 38% from the field, less than 30% from three. Um, you know, you lose offense. What does that do to spacing? What does that do with everything else? So um, that that's going to be the big thing for UNC. Once they, Caleb Love officially announces his decision, then, okay, where, where do you go from there? Uh, then you start looking at the transfers and trying to bring people in. Yeah, and just to give people a little bit of a timeline of what to expect. So the transfer portal opened on March the 13th. It closes on May the 11th. It allows players the ability to transfer. Now, they can de- declare for the draft, but so long as they don't hire an agent, Lewis, you can declare for the draft, which is on April the 23rd, but you can uh, uh, the deadline to declare is April the 23rd. You have your college eligibility until May 31st. So you can say, hey, I want to test the draft waters, but then decide to come back. That was a rule that changed a few years back, Lewis. So I love that. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, so me good. too. Me too. Because if a player isn't quite ready and if it says, oh, well, he's going to be a second rounder, he might go undrafted, he can go back to school and maintain his eligibility. So Really, any time between now and those dates, Lewis, we've got to of what happens with Caleb Love. From the Duke standpoint, too, really the two big question marks that you have for next season. Is Derek Lively going to come back? I'd imagine he'd go pro, but then Kyle Filipowski as well, the big guy with some touch. We love his offensive ability. Does he decide, hey, I want to run it back for a sophomore year again as well? Those are really the two question marks when it comes to the Duke standpoint. Exactly. I, I like the, the Tyrese Proctor decision coming back. I, I think that's really good for him personally. Mm-hmm. I, I thought you, you saw Proctor catch on in the last few months of the season, like really starting to turn up uh, his, his ability as they, they kind of made that switch to having him more serve as a, a point guard role versus Jeremy Roach. But I, I think that 
that is ultimately going to be what's best for him. I could see him, you know, working his way up to being higher in the draft, maybe, you know, a, a late lottery pick if possible. He's got the length, he's got the size, um, continue to work on his offensive game. I think that would, that would go a long way. And I think Duke is the most dangerous, just historically when you look at them, when they have an older point guard, when they have that veteran presence to complement, uh, you know, some of these young five-star players that they have coming in. So uh, that that's Huge, huge for Duke to get Tyrese Proctor back for sure. And one thing too, in all of this, I don't want to, I don't want to um, pass up this too. When you look at NC State, they've had a couple of players enter the the uh, portal now. One thing I am curious to see is Dontrez Styles, the former uh, UNC player who literally just entered the portal this postseason, this off season. Um, what does he decide to do? Kevin Keats and that NC State you know, organization, they they pursued him hard. Uh, he's a young man out of uh, Kinston. Um, so he would be, I think, a really good fit for the NC State system. Um, you know, there's, it sounds like there's some smoke there, but still a lot of decisions have to be made. And I have to imagine those decisions have to be made sooner rather than later if you're one of these players. Lewis, personally, I'm a little bit petty, right? And so with the transfer portal, I can't help but wonder, all the players we just mentioned, you'd imagine that they would have another Power 5 Division One school to transfer to. But I can't help but wonder of, oh, I want to test the waters for the transfer portal. And then I want to come back to the very same school that I want to transfer from. And I say this because UNC has five players now that have decided to enter the transfer portal. I can't help but wonder, would any of those players, after saying, hey, I want to test the waters to see what else is out there, would any of them want to come back from Chapel Hill? Or would that opportunity even exist? I can't help but wonder those things. So that's that's the question. And I think that's something that we just as people on the outside kind of take for granted a little bit, just because a player enters the transfer portal doesn't necessarily mean it's the player's decision. Uh, You know, it it could be that the coaches just kind of told them, hey, there's not going to be any more room for you here. Do what you got to do. So I I think whether or not anyone would decide to actually come back, I, I think the big question is, is there a spot available for them? Um, I, at this point, if I'm, if I'm, you know, UNC, if I'm a UNC fan, I'm not, I'm not really holding my breath um, for anyone to, to come back after entering the transfer portal. Cause you know, we talked about it so much after this disappointing year, they're, they're going to have to reshape what that entire team looks like. And you know, it, it starts with, with these moves and finding out who's going to be there. Lewis, let me ask you this. What should Caleb love do? Should he come back? Should he transfer? Should he go pro? I personally would say, hey, go pro, go try to make your money because I see 16 points per game clip, but you're also competing for shots with Armando Baycott, RJ Davis and company. I would go pro, but what do you think he ends up doing? And then what should he do? I, so I personally, if I'm, if I'm Caleb Love, I'm thinking about going pro because um, I think he would gain more from going pro, um, I think, versus just transferring to a different program. Uh, unless, of course, he's able to go to a program that was like be the ultimate fit for him. Um, but really with with Caleb Love, I think it's it's just about developing the outside shot more, being more consistent with it. Some of the, I think, just decision making as, as a guard, a little bit more work, a little work on the defense, defensive end. I think if, if Caleb can go to a coaching staff, whether that be professionally um, in the NBA, in the G League, you know, maybe somewhere else who can really work on those tiny things with him, I think that would go a long way. But I just my, my gut says go pro. Um, but I'm also not, you know, a, a uh, an athlete who has that option. I wish I did. Uh, I wish I, I wish I could go pro and go make a couple million dollars. That'd be that'd be pretty dope. I would like that. Absolutely. What are you, Mark? What do you think? We'll take a slice. I would go pro if I were him, but whatever he ends up doing, Tar Heels fans should cape should thank Caleb Love for this reason. 
he ended Coach K's career. Yeah. Like he had yeah. to make the shot to end Coach K's career in the Final Four. So as disappointing as this past season was, you got Duke twice. At the end of the regular season, K's final regular season game in Cameron Indoor Stadium. And in the final four, you mean the first time the team's ever met in the tournament and it's in the final four and you end a legend's career after 42 seasons. However you feel about this past seasons, that's got to be the moment Tar Heels fans remember is the shot that he made in the final four to end Coach K's career. Just to put all this in perspective for you, Lewis. That that plus the you know even the moments like against uh, UCLA for example there were so many games in that run last year that UNC does not win if Caleb Love does not go nuclear and and so it was it was huge but like, that's that's kind of kind of his style you know he, he takes those shots he takes a lot of them so you either I think you either um, you know die and be a hero or, or live long enough to see yourself become the villain I think that's kind of the <laughs> the mentality maybe with with no like seriously like it's like. I wonder. I wonder what would have happened if Caleb Love decided to enter the draft uh, or go pro last year, you know, before this past season. That that would be interesting to me. But um, yeah, if, if the market's there for you to go pro, go pro. That's that's what I would do if I'm Caleb yep, Love. I agree. I agree. One final thought too: when he's making those big time plays, and I think about a lot of the memories that the students have, and ultimately they're gonna. It'll be memories they'll remember for the rest of their life, Lewis but just how crazy Franklin Street is. And I know this because we live stream it on WRL.com after the Battle of the Blues. Just how, just what a great and transcendent moment that is. So again, as disappointing as this season was, the year before, I mean, you got to give Caleb Love his flowers regardless of what decision he ends up coming to. You know, he's someone that should be, I think, remembered favorably regardless of what he ends up deciding to do. I think that's fair. Um, so let's go and go now from Final Four last year to Final Four this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have what what a tournament it has been um, on, on both the men's and women's side, but with the men's side in particular, the first time in the history of the NCAA tournament, or at least since they started doing seeding, that there is no one, two, or three seed in the Final Four. Uh, instead, you have... Uh, four seed UConn, you have five seed Miami, you have five seed San Diego State, and you have nine seed Florida Atlantic. Uh, Mark, before we talk about who's going to win it all, what what are your thoughts just when you hear that, when you saw how all of this unfolded? The only way you could have predicted any of these teams really making the final four, I mean, maybe UConn, would be if you're a fan of said team. Like, even in your wildest dreams, if you're an FAU Owls fan, would you say, oh, we're going to go on a Final Four run yeah. this year? Yeah. You know, it's a team on the football side. Lane Kiffin was coaching, and he brought some notoriety to the program. The FAU Owls is a nine seed? Like, huh? What? I think- and, and here's the thing, too. Go ahead, Lewis. Hop in. Hop in. Yeah, ESPN knocked uh, – they, they put out a graphic, uh, I think, yesterday, saying of the 20 million brackets that people put in their bracket challenge – 37 correctly predicted this final four, which is, which is crazy. Like, I mean, cause you're, you're absolutely right. Like it's, it's one thing to predict one of those teams getting in, but to put all of them together, I, you know, it's just, it's bonkers. I, in my bracket, I will say I had both San Diego state and UConn. I want to, I'm just going to go out and yeah. say that. Uh, but when I put together that bracket, I was like, I hate this. There's no way this is going to happen. Um, but I, I understand if you pick UConn, but everyone else that is, yeah. Congrats. Congrats. Congrats if you did it. 
it's UConn's tournament to lose, Lewis. And to me, as long as UConn, as long as the Huskies don't beat themselves, they're going to win this tournament. In in my opinion, could be dead yeah. wrong, but they absolutely smoked Gonzaga by twenty eight points. Like everyone was saying going into that game, well, Gonzaga survived UCLA in a great Sweet Sixteen game. They're saying whoever wins this game is going to win the tournament. Like I could make the case for some of the other teams. I personally just think this is going to be UConn's year. Uh, Dan Hurley's bunch is just playing great, great basketball right now and at the right time too. And Lewis, I know you did a segment too on WRAL about your Ken Palm ranking. So if UConn ends up winning, that stat that you mentioned before the start of the tournament will hold true. They're the last team in those offensive and defensive yeah. efficiency rankings. Yeah, for, for those of you who didn't see it. So essentially every year since 2002 when Ken Palm started, uh, the team that has won the national championship has had a an offensive Offensive and defensive efficiency ranking. So offensive and defensive efficiency is um, uh, points per 100 possessions and then scale to opponents, essentially. Um, so the, the combined ranking has to be less than 50. So if you are like the, the 10th offensive ranking in terms of offensive efficiency in the country and then the, the 20th defensive, like the, your uh, sum is 30. So yes, you're, cap- you're, you're able to do that. That has been the case every single year. Uh, and the only team of that bunch that remains is UConn. So uh, that's that's what's really interesting. I, what I do, I, we talk a lot about the metrics and everything and how all of that works. Sometimes you feel like they're kind of given too much credit when you see what happened to the Big Ten, when you see what happened to you know the two the other Mountain West teams that lost earlier this year, um, when you see how little respect the ACC was given. Uh, but Ken Palm rankings are pretty on once again this year, just in general, like even Florida Atlantic. I know people are like, oh, well, where'd Florida Atlantic come from? They were very highly ranked in the Ken Palm rankings. I think they were like top 25. So it's it's like, they, I mean, they won like, they've won 34 games this year. So like, you know, they're, they're a very good team. They're not necessarily an underdog, uh, but, you know, and same with San Diego State, one of the better defensive teams in the country, the way they just, that you, you get into a rock fight where they're just constantly just chucking boulders at you, making you just hurt all over. Um, I, um, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's interesting to me. I do think UConn is ultimately going to be the, the crew that, that walks away with it uh, just because of what they're capable of, the way they attack the boards. Um, they're one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country, a very good defensive rebounding team. They shoot well. They play solid defense. Uh, for me, I think the one thing that could shoot, like prevent – uh, UConn from winning is turnovers. Uh, they do turn over the ball a little bit, um, getting up there that 18, 19, 20% uh, turnover, uh, turnovers per um, possession, you know, percentage. So I, that's, that would be something to keep an eye out for if Miami can force a bunch of turnovers, but like, I just, I don't know what it is. You go back to, was it 2011? I think with um, when uh, Kemba Walker came through, uh, I think it was 2014 when, when um, Shabazz Napier came through there's just something about UConn and being like, oh, is, is this is this bracket really weak right now? Are there a bunch of like low-seeded teams? Mm-hmm. We'll take that. Thank you very much. <laughs> just, they just win championships, man. It's so it's so yeah. wild. Yeah, I mean, going back to the Calhoun era, Ben Gordon and Ray Allen and Mecca Okafer right back in the day. Uh, I'll make the case for San Diego State, Lewis. I do okay. think it'll be UConn as well. And as the defense, and I go back to, okay – Earlier in the tournament, you hold Brandon Miller, the star player out of Alabama, to three of 19 shooting. 
Charleston, which, okay, they play in the Colonial Athletic Association. You say, Mark, why do we care about this? They're the nation's best offense this year. And again, San Diego State holds them in check defensively. So that would be the case that I'd make is San Diego State defensively. If they can con- continue to play at that elite level defense, that would be the case I would make. But like it was crazy even going into Elite Eight into the Final Four where you're looking at the side of the bracket where it's like, okay, it's either going to be like San Diego State, Creighton, uh, FAU, or Kansas State making the yeah. national title game. Yeah. Like it's just been a crazy, crazy tournament. Yeah, I just I think when I go back to UConn, I I agree. Like that Florida Atlantic San Diego State game, I know it's going to be like the early tip, and people are like, "Womp womp." Yeah, I, I'm not excited about this, but I think it's going to be super interesting regardless because just the styles of play clashing. Um, mm. But I do think, assuming UConn beats Miami, and, and people have been assuming that Miami is going to lose for quite some time now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I, a lot I, of people thought Texas was going to beat Miami over the weekend te- in the Elite Eight. Miami should have lost to Drake in the first round of the NCAA tournament with no, I looked this up with four minutes and 30 seconds left. Miami was down by eight points uh, to Drake. They then went on a 16 to one run to end the game. Like we, we are that close to Miami, not even making it past the first round. And instead here they are, you know, in the final four for the first time in, in program history, uh, Larinaga is a, an absolute magician uh, when it comes to making these types of deep runs. You know, we saw him do it with George Mason, I think like 17 years ago to the day almost. Um, so I, I just, I think ultimately though, I think even if it's like San Diego state or Florida Atlantic, who can kind of, you know, really get aggressive and athletic and, and big on you. I, I do think that, you know, UConn is just, they're ready for a fight. Like if, if you try and, you know, muck things up and, you know, put, get UConn into a back alley and try and beat them up, they, they're going to come ready with some brass knuckles and get at you. So I, I just, I think that's ultimately going to be the big thing for UConn. I think they're, they have the strength and athleticism and fortitude to be able to really just steamroll whatever kind of style you play and adjust to it accordingly. Yeah. Miami brought in a lot of its current roster with NIL money as well, which is very smart because it's like NIL money, warm weather in beautiful Coral Gables, Florida, Lewis, it's really effective strategy in terms of like, oh, do you want to come play basketball in paradise? And here the Hurricanes are in the final four, which like at the start of the tournament, just I know the ACC was a bit down this year, but it seemed like it was Duke that was the hot team going in. I wouldn't have predicted Miami in uh, in the final four ahead of a team like, say, a Duke or I mean, I know the ACC was down this year, but um, I, again, I, I think. FAU would be the longest. There's a reason why they're considered the long shot here. But, like, this has just been such a crazy tournament. Again, I could make the case for any four of these teams. I think it'll be UConn. If not UConn, I would say maybe San Diego State, Lewis. Those would be my two picks. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be fascinating for sure. I, I have all these teams I feel like people have doubted at some point, but they just keep on punching it in the face. Um, I mean, really, Florida Atlantic, like their hardest game, I think, was round one against Memphis. Like, and then they've just kind of been doing their thing ever since. I mean, Miami, they steamrolled Houston, who Houston, who was one of the best teams in the country all year long. And they just just took the air right out of them and just pushed through Isaiah Wong. That guard play for Miami has been truly mm. phenomenal. I think that's we always go back to the tournament and say, oh, guard play is always so big in the tournament. But it's, been, it's, it's kind of been the case like. Just they've been shooting lights out. You you need a baller who can go 
and hit some of these crazy, you know, fadeaways, like, you know, driving to the basket and, and just not care and not have any fear in his heart. And that's what Isaiah Wong brings to the team for, for Miami. So I don't know. I, I think UConn for sure. Um, but it's, it's going to be a fun final four, even if we don't have any of the top three seeds or any of the, you know, blue blood, blue blood programs or anything like that. Yeah. And shout out to Isaiah Wong, the ACC player of the year, Lewis. Uh, one final thought I had, and we'll go on to our final topic. You mentioned the deficits that teams have played uh, FAU in the first round against Memphis, 10 minutes left in the game. They're down seven points to come back and win. So it's just mm-hmm. like time and time and time again, they, the owls have faced deficits and they've found ways to win. And it's just like, how much can that Cinderella magic continue? We'll see into this weekend, Saturday, and then Monday night's title game as well, Lewis. So cannot yes. wait for all of that, but it's a final four. I don't think anyone could have predicted. No, no. 37 people uh, per ESPN. I don't know what <laughs> that percentage crazy. is. I'll have to do the math really quick. That's out of 20 million, 37. I don't even get me started. Okay, let's. We, we are recording this on March 27th, uh, which is one month exactly uh, before the NFL draft. The Carolina Panthers are on the clock. Uh, I think we're still pretty confident who they're going to, or at least we, have, we think we know who they're going to pick number one, uh, being C.J. Stroud. Mark, do, do you still feel good about that for the Panthers? Yeah, I think Stroud will be the guy, but the signing of Andy Dalton provides flexibility to where whoever you draft doesn't necessarily have to start day one. The reason I say this, Anthony Richardson at the Combine a few weeks back absolutely tore it up, and it's his pro day this week. So we'll see what he can do yet again where he's going to be very impressive because – He's 240 plus and he moves like he's like 200 pounds flat. And so mm-hmm. when you're running a 4-4-440 and you're 240 pounds and you have the running ability, it's kind of like a guy named Cam Newton all the way back in the day. But really what it does in the modern NFL with a mobile quarterback is it holds defenses accountable playing 11 on 11 because you have to account for a quarterback's running ability. My point being, Lewis, I think Stroud will be the guy, but you can turn over all rocks and you can absolutely swing for the fences and draft the quarterback with the highest upside because you now have a veteran quarterback that can at least right the ship, whether that's, Hey, we're going to have you as a backup to mentor this young rookie who's going to start right away. Or if the rookie's not ready, you can start the red rifle week one of the 2023 season at quarterback and at least get competent to decent quarterback play. Yeah. I think at this point it's like, I mean, I think it's tears, right? I I think CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, either one of those guys, I think will have success in the NFL. I do think sometimes the the outliers, so like a Bryce Young and his height, that is a, a problem and something you definitely think about. Ultimately, though, I just I think, and this may sound wild because like you just look at what the Panthers have been like offensively for the past few you know years or so. I just really think that um, they have the potential to really have a nice like brain trust if you will, of offensive masterminds in that building right now, whether it be Frank Reich, Jim Caldwell, uh, Josh McCown, there, there are a lot of people to come in and mentor whoever the pick is. I still, th- it's, I still think it's gonna be CJ Stroud. I think it just fits everything that they got going on. Um, but let's, let's move on from that first pick though. And instead yeah. look at what they do with the rest of the NFL draft. Cause they have, I believe five more picks. They're going to have less because of the trades they made. Uh, their next pick, I believe is pick number 39. Um, I, to me, it, it feels like at some point in time in the draft, you, you never want to be like, okay, second round, we're definitely going to pick 
this position. You want to be able to let the board come to you and go with that. But I do think that they need to get a wide receiver sooner rather than later, someone who can come in there and, and pair with Adam Thielen. Um, you know, and I, I'm curious, any, any idea, Mark, from you, is there someone who jumps off to you to be like, hey, Panthers, go get this guy? Well, if you're going to go with C.J. Stroud, I mean, you might have to trade up to get, say, uh, a Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, Jackson Smith, and the Jigba. But how about pairing two college teammates together? And we see this happen all the time in the NFL. Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, Alabama teammates. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, LSU teammates. That's a trend we're seeing consistently in the NFL. I would love to see the Panthers do the exact same thing because they had – all the success in the world in college. And I mean, honestly, CJ Stroud might go to an NFL roster, say the Panthers draft him. You could make the argument that his Ohio state receivers were more talented than the roster he would inherit. If he gets drafted by the Panthers, and that's not a hyperbole either. Lewis. No, Chris, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, you know, were right there neck and neck competing for offensive rookie of the year last year. I, I don't think they're going to be, uh, I don't think they're going to be bad enough to get Marvin Harrison Jr. next year because I, I think he's going to be a t- top five pick. Um, if you can trade up uh, for for um, Injigba, uh, I mean, I think that would be a, a great if you can. The Panthers have have shown that they are they they are willing to make moves in terms of trading up, and I mean, obviously with the first round pick, but also just in during the course of the draft. I think though part of the reason why they are trading away DJ Moore is that they see a lot of potential with some of the second day. Uh, picks at wide receiver. Um, and, and then it just kind of depends on what they want, what kind of uh, what they're looking for in terms of uh, how, how it fits into their system. Like, you know, I, w- I was just at UNC's pro day earlier and Josh Downs ran, you know, uh, he, he did a bunch of receiver drills with um, An- Antoine Green and Drake May. Uh, he did some agility testing, um, things, things like that. Talk with some more teams. He actually had, a, he said that after the workout, he was going to have a meeting with, um, uh, the Cowboys, uh, uh, Brian Schottenheimer was there, the new new Cowboys offensive coordinator. Um, but, you know, Don, Downs, I think, is great. And I, he said that his what he has been told is he's going to be a prospect that's going to get picked uh, in the top 50. He's been told, like, he's looking around that 25 to 50 range, which would work for the Panthers. But then it just kind of becomes, mm-hmm. okay, are you, do you want the fit of Josh Downs? He, he does not like to be described as small. He said that earlier today. He is a shorter receiver. Um, he, he officially measured in at about uh, five, nine uh, at the, the pro day today. So, but he, he's explosive. He's fast. He's agile. He can be someone who can really come in there. Um, so do you want, do you want him? Do you want someone who maybe is a little bit bigger, like a, a Jalen Hyatt type? I think Jalen Hyatt, Jalen Hyatt might be available uh, when you have that second pick, kind of depending on how the first round falls. So you got top end speed there, uh, really good agility. Um, he, he's someone who is uh, higher up. Um, in terms of prospects, um, and I think it would be it would be really interesting to pair him with, uh, you know, and, and Adam Thielen. He's you know um, he, he's above six foot, so like you know he's got a little more size than Josh Downs. I don't know. I, I think you just kind of keep on going down the list, and there are a lot of receivers that you can bring in on that day two with a second or third round pick. Maybe even day you know get one there and then get one in day three, and just kind of start beefing up that wide receiver room. Um, I Cedric Tillman at Tennessee is someone who I really like. He's got a lot mm-hmm. of size that isn't as necessarily like top end speed fast, but has shown a capability. He, he's older. So if you're, you, you want to shy away from that, that could be something to watch. I, Antoine green, um, you know, he uh, ran, uh, yeah, he, he's got, he got some good speed on him. Um, he said today, one of the big things he wanted to prove with his route running is his ability to 
uh, kind of move in and out of uh, intermediate routes, get his, his, um, his, uh, his uh, shoulders nice and low um, and, and work from there. So he, he looked great. And I think a lot of people were impressed with him. I think he's worth a flyer. If you're, if you're the, the Panthers, it's interesting. I, I just, you got to continue to beef up the beef up that offense and, and go for the, what the best positions available. Um, but once I get past that first round, if I'm the Panthers, I just want to go for the best players available. Absolutely. Have holes, Absolutely. Have some holes, but just don't force yourself into getting someone. That's how I view it. If I'm the Panthers. Yeah. And you're going to have to fill the void left by DJ Moore. now that he's a member of the bears, Lewis. And the reason I mentioned uh, uh, the Ohio state receiver, um, uh, is it Najigba Smith? The reason I mentioned him, I know he had like a hamstring injury. So my point being is that could potentially force him to fall later in the draft than he normally otherwise would. Uh, you mentioned Josh Downs and a potential pairing with the Panthers as well. I would love the trash talk, uh, friendly trash talk between teammates because you'd have Downs, who's the UNC receiver, and then last year's first round pick, Iki Aquanu, along the offensive line. There could be some fun uh shenanigans in the locker room talking of which triangle team is superior if the The Panthers do in fact yeah yeah if they do in fact draft Josh Downs and Downs uh back-to-back seasons high level of production with two different quarterbacks too uh you had obviously Drake May this past season and Sam Howell who has started an NFL game like that is that is an incredible feat to be able to do that as a rookie in this league so uh Having high production back-to-back years when defenses are keying in on you and still being able to get it done. Uh, one final thought I had to Antoine Green. I don't always look at collegiate production because it doesn't always translate to the league. But when I see his uh, the, the, the length of each average reception when he's getting about 20 yards per catch, it's like two first downs every time he catches the ball on average. Uh, that goes a long way to be able to move the sticks, move the ball down the field in the league. That's something that stuck out to me with Antoine Green this past season for the Tar Heels as well. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting for for the Panthers um, because because be, essentially because you traded up and you've gotten rid of some draft picks this year, and next year, you just kind of put yourself in a position where you have to make every draft pick count. It's going yep. to be harder to um, a, a miss in the uh, in the NFL draft is going to impact you more this year than it would have in years past. Um, so just you got to keep on hoping you draft well if you're a Panthers fan and and uh, and see what you can do to surround uh, that number one pick, presumably C.J. Stroud. He is the betting favorite still. Um, you, in, you know, surround him with with uh, weapons, with uh, a good defense and things like that to, um, you know, make a run at the NFC South. Because ultimately I do think that's what this is all leading to is the Panthers – uh, can make a run at the NFC, a weak NFC South division, try and win that mm. division this year. Yeah, 139, 93, 114, 132, and 145. Those are all the Panthers' picks this season. So you trade a lot of them away, but if they strike gold and get the right quarterback, Lewis, I don't think any of that will matter. And that's the premium that you have to pay for the quarterback position in this league. So that's what everyone's going to focus on. And listen, I already know. What are you, a men's medium? We can start printing out the CJ Stroud jerseys now, Lewis. We can start I, getting them ready now. I wish, I wish I was a men's medium, Mark. I, 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 pre, I appreciate, I appreciate where your mind's at, though. Thank you. Um, no, I, I'm, I, I think it's just, it's the right fit. It's the right fit. But regardless, um, that is going to do it for Triangle in Two today. Uh, 
with new episodes coming out every Monday at five o'clock. You can catch us on YouTube. You can catch us wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on WRL Sports Fan, all of that stuff. Uh, for Mark Bergen, I'm Luis Fernandez. Thank you all so much for watching. We'll see you later.